Hey everyone, welcome back to a new video. Before I begin, I just wanted to give a heads up that there's going to be a sponsor read somewhere in the middle of this video. I know people hate them, especially them being done in the middle of a video, and I've talked about this before, but some sponsors specifically request that they be done in the middle of the video. I often have people rant and rage over this, but yeah. Some companies specifically want it in the middle of the video, and that's just how it is. Anyways, I hope you all still enjoy the video. And remember, if you have your own personal scary story, send it to southerncannibal.com. And without further ado, let's get into the stories. And remember, to always, stay hungry. I was 17 when the story happened. I'm 19 now. At the time, I was living in a tiny home that was in need of a lot of repairs. I live with my now ex-husband. To better tell the story, I need to explain how the house was laid out. The front door opened into our bedroom, and the only other door out of our room led into the living room. The living room had two doors, one to the bathroom, and one into the dining room, meaning you could see the dining room window from the living room. Connected to the dining room was the other bedroom of the house and the kitchen, and the back door of the house was in the kitchen. My cousin was storing an RV in our backyard throughout the summer. When he came to collect his RV, he asked us why there was food wrappers inside of it. We explained that we had no idea, but maybe since the door of the RV didn't lock, Maybe a homeless person had been sleeping in it. We mentioned that we had been seeing a flash of light in the woods, but we thought it was just a teenager taking a shortcut. Over the next few months, until October, I began to think I was going crazy. My ex, who we'll call Matthew, blamed it on me being pregnant, but I could have sworn that we had food and soap going missing. We always locked both of our doors, and our dresser actually blocked our front door and I had stopped leaving our spare key outside. We had extra dishes in the sink, and our water bill was constantly getting higher than it should have been. And on days when we hadn't been home, our shower would be used and everything inside of it moved. Since I was pregnant, I woke up most nights at 3am to use the bathroom. Every night while walking through the living room, I would swear that I saw someone in the dining room window. I was convinced someone was watching our house and entering it whenever we weren't home. The police in our area told us that without forced entry or cameras, there was really nothing they could do. They also informed us of a squatter's law, meaning that if someone was living in the home for three days or more, we would have to find them and take them to court to evict them, even if they had broken in. On the last night before I decided to move, I woke up earlier in the night and walked to the bathroom. I then saw a figure in the dining room, and it started running into the kitchen. I heard a large crash, followed by someone cursing. I ran back into my bedroom and attempted to wake up Matthew. Matthew, there's someone in the house. Matthew didn't get out of bed, but told me. It's probably a demon or something. Go back to bed. Not very comforting, but I did lay back down. We moved out within the next week. Matthew's mom called about a week after we moved out. She asked if we were still in the house that we moved out of. 
No, Mom, we aren't. Matthew told her. Well, someone is, and the lights are turning on and off. She screamed through the phone. My ex decided to entertain what he believed was one of his mother's hallucinations. When he arrived at her old home, someone came sprinting out and into the woods. I still don't fully understand what happened in the woods, but the man admitted to living in our home with us. He informed Matthew that the back door would just open, even deadbolted. I know the man went to jail for what I believe was a drug charge a few months before being released. Thankfully, I've moved a few times since, but I still get terrified that someone's living with me and that I'll have no idea about it. When I was 16, I really loved staying home alone. One day my parents and sisters left to go to my uncle's house. Later on, I saw the garbage overflowing, so I took it out. I decided to take a nap after that. When I woke up, I went for a drink in the kitchen, and I noticed that the back door was wide open. I realized that I must have left the door open, so I closed it. All of a sudden, I hear two pairs of footsteps rushing towards me. I was tackled to the ground by two grown men who looked to be in their 40s. I was then bombarded with punches and kicks. I was viciously beaten for what felt like hours, but probably wasn't more than about 10 minutes. After I was slipping in and out of consciousness, I heard two gunshots. It was my dad. He shot one of the men twice, but the other one got away. I later woke up in the hospital with a broken arm, face, leg, and four broken ribs. The police came in and interviewed me. They told me they couldn't find the other man, but they will continue to look. But they never did find him. The man my dad shot received 12 years in jail. The crazy part is the story doesn't even end here. About a year later, I was grocery shopping and I looked up. I actually saw the other man in the grocery store. Right in that moment, I felt a tightness in my chest and passed out. I'm 18 years old now, and not a day goes by where I don't think about what happened. I do see a therapist now, but it really doesn't help. And I really don't know what will. Please be safe out there. This happened in June of 2021, when me and my family were visiting Montana to see some of my relatives. I won't give too much away about the location, but I will say that it was a smaller suburb around the city of Great Falls. So while we were staying at my great aunt's place, we decided to go to a nearby deli to get some sandwiches and ice cream. It was me and my brother, my mom, my aunt, and my great aunt. Now, my great aunt lives in what is basically a trailer park, but with nicer houses is how I can best describe it. So, it's not the white trash trailer park that you mainly think of. We exited the house and began to walk, when we then saw this man. He was of a darker skin tone, not black, but maybe Hispanic. He was bald, and he looked like he could have been in his 30s or 40s. He was also a bit skinny. The man wore a dirty gray tank top, along with red sweatpants. He was holding a jacket, which was gray and red. As you can imagine, this obviously struck us as odd, 
because it was the middle of summer and very hot outside. Probably around 80 or 90 degrees, but I'll say around 80. It also looked like he was kind of concealing something under the jacket. The man went on to ask if he could come inside her house to get a phone charger. My great aunt said no, as it would be more sensible to just grab a charger from inside and then bring it out to him. My great aunt pretty much immediately knew something was off about this man. He continued to insist about coming inside the house for a phone charger, not simply asking for a phone charger, but to come inside and get it. My great aunt told him off multiple times, but he continued insisting, and he even tried to pay her to come inside her house just to get the phone charger. The man then asked if he could walk to the deli with us. My great aunt said that there was a quicker way if he simply walked up to the street and then turned. This was obviously a lie, but the man believed it, and he then walked off just in the way my great aunt had pointed to. We then walked to the deli and got out for food and ice cream, and we then returned. After we made it back inside, my aunt saw the same man up the road again, simply just strolling around, possibly looking for potential victims. Thankfully, we never did see him again after that. To be honest, the man could have been a meth head, wanting more cash to buy more meth, but I really don't know. It is plausible though, because Montana has a really big meth problem. I'm not really sure if this man actually had ill intent, but it could be likely, as he was likely concealing something under his jacket. And it's honestly really creepy how he continuously pressured my great aunt to come inside her house. Mind you, she had never even seen this guy in her whole life. I'm just glad my great aunt didn't let the man inside, and she probably most likely saved us from a home invasion. Maybe even worse. Hey everyone, apologies for the brief interruption from the stories, but I want to thank today's sponsor ShipStation for sponsoring today's episode. ShipStation is really great because it sets you up for growth by directly integrating with every shopping cart and storefront. So your products are easier to find, easier to manage, and easier to get into the hands of happy customers. ShipStation really helps handling the shipping for your online products all in one place. Whether you're starting a small business or you're getting bigger, ShipStation makes ship happen. No more limiting your business to just one store. ShipStation integrates with every platform, including Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Shopify, etc., making it really easy to manage all your shipping from one simple dashboard. You also get the same discounted shipping rates as Fortune 500 companies, whether you're sending a stack or a truck full. They also work with one of my favorite companies, Speaking Cases, who make really high-quality phone cases for your iPhone or Android. Definitely consider checking them out. Ship more and grow more with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com today and sign up with promo code CANNIBAL for a free 60-day trial. Start today and get set up before the biggest shipping season of the year. That's two months free. Visit ShipStation.com click the microphone at the top, and type in code CANNIBAL. I'm a 36-year-old male from Vancouver, Canada. The story took place back in 2003 when I was 17. 
I played on my high school rugby team, and our team was given the opportunity to take a trip to the UK to go and play rugby teams from several high schools in Scotland, Wales, and England over a two-week period. Our team was very good and won most of our games playing other schools in Canada. However, in the UK, we got absolutely destroyed by every team we played. However, it was still a great time overall, and lifelong bonds were formed between most of our teammates. On our first stop in Edinburgh, Scotland, we stayed in a hotel. During our time there, we were able to go to bars and pubs without anyone checking our IDs or questioning our young age, like would be the case in Canada. We were able to order beers and other alcoholic drinks in public settings for the first time in our lives, and we had an absolute blast. We were also able to go to the strip clubs for the first time, which we did, and also had a great time. For our next several stops on the tour, we put on billets and stayed in the homes of other teenage rugby players from the schools we were competing against, who were willing to have us stay with them for a couple of nights. Lifelong friendships with these strangers were also formed. And while we were able to drink and have house parties, or maybe a visit to a neighborhood pub, things were not as out of control as when we stayed in the hotel in Scotland. For our last and final stop on the tour, we were once again going to be staying in a hotel in London, England. And to say that we were all excited at the prospect of going to bars and strip clubs again was an understatement. On our first day in London, our coaches who had been holding all of our disposable cash and giving us allowances out of it over the trip so we didn't spend it all, gave all of us everything we had remaining in our accounts. I had about 250 English pounds in cash given to me, which was equivalent to about $600 Canadian at the time. This was supposed to be plenty to last me the final three days in London, and it should have been more than enough. All of our matches had been played by this point, so the final couple of days was going to be all sightseeing. During the time on our first day there, our team toured the city, went to the Tower of London, saw Big Ben, and saw the statue soldiers at the palace. All the typical London tourist attractions, and it was a really great time. During the day, we toured a part of London called Piccadilly Circus, which I guess is one of the nightlife hotspots. While we were in there in the day, we saw plenty of bars and strip clubs, and we agreed as a team then we would take the tube system back there later that night after dinner, as it was only a few tube stops away from the hotel we were at. One of my teammates, I'll call him Brandon and I, wanted fish and chips for dinner in London, and most of our team wanted to go somewhere else to eat. I can't remember the exact details, but I remember that we had all agreed to do our own dinners and then meet back at our hotel lobby at around 7pm and then go together as a team to Piccadilly Circus. Brandon and I went for fish and chips, but ended up not getting back to the hotel until around 7.45pm. And of course, our teammates weren't there and hadn't waited for us. This was just before cell phones became big, and none of us had one, and we had no way of contacting anyone. So we assumed the team had probably already headed to Piccadilly Circus, so we decided to just go there on our own and try and find them. We hopped on the tube, and off we went. We went to Piccadilly Circus and began bar hopping, looking for our teammates, but also stopping to have a drink in each bar we checked, and still having a great time with it just being the two of us. After finishing at one, we were walking down the street and saw a glowing sign that said XXX, girls, girls, and it was blinking. 
and we then said to ourselves, Yeah, I bet that's where our team is. We thought it was a strip club, so we decided to go in. The entrance was very shady. We had to walk through a black iron spiked fence, and then the entrance was a dingy door that immediately led downstairs to an area we couldn't see. But we went anyways. When we got to the bottom of the stairs, we could immediately see then it was not a strip club. We weren't really sure what it was, but our teenage curiosity was still piqued. The place was fairly empty. There were tables set up like a restaurant, and there were women who looked like strippers in skimpy lingerie, walking around or sitting and talking with a couple of the older men in there. One of these girls walked up to us, and she asked if we wanted a table. Her energy was a little strange, as was the overall energy in the place, and we both felt it. We said we were looking for our team, and now that we didn't see them, we were going to leave and go look for them elsewhere. She took us by the hands, then sang, No boys, come have one drink with me. We both just looked at each other, and then agreed. We went and sat down at a table, and she then said, You guys want me to join you for a drink, right? And we just responded with, Yeah, sure, why not? She sat down with us, and we ordered drinks from another girl, who promptly brought them all over. I think she sat with us for about 5-10 to minutes while we had our drinks, and chatted to us, asking us questions about Canada, rugby, our trip, etc., It seemed innocent enough, and she seemed friendly enough. When we finished our drinks, we again said that we had to go find our team, and it was really nice meeting her, but we had to be on our way. Okay, but since you asked me to sit with you, you have to buy my drink, she said. We looked at each other, and we kind of just rolled our eyes, but agreed. Uh, okay, how much is it? I asked her. She said $6.47. I assumed this meant $6.47, so I threw down a 10 note. She then said, Uh, no, $647. Seeing our really confused faces, she then pointed to a menu type of thing that was on the end of the table that we hadn't even looked at. There was some kind of fine print at the top that said, Accepting a server's invitation to sit down invokes a minimum charge of $300 each. The rest of the menu wasn't drinks, but various sexual acts. I distinctly remember the bottom and most expensive line item being titled, Multiple Orgasms. We immediately got really uncomfortable, and we told her that we didn't even know what type of place this was, and that we weren't aware of any charges, and just asked if we could go. It was like a switch just totally flipped with her. She went from being super friendly to super bitch mode. She pointed to security cameras and told us that everything was recorded and that we had to pay or we would be in serious trouble. She then got up and called two large security guys over to our booth. The way the booth table was set up is we were sitting across from each other and these two large guys both sat down on one on each side, blocking us in from leaving. The first thing they said was, All right. Let's see your wallets, boys. We reluctantly pulled out our wallets, and these guys proceeded to take all of our cash we had been given. It all added up to around $400 between us, 
and we were still about 250 pounds short. We told them that was all we had. They told us it wasn't good enough, and that we were going to need to come with them to speak to the boss. We were led by these guys into a dimly lit back room, where there was then a man who was seated at a desk behind glass. It was a skinny guy wearing glasses, and he had long, greasy hair. He told us that we owed him the remainder, and he needed it now. But we told him we didn't have it. He had both of our wallets and went through our cards. He saw that we had debit cards. We tried to tell him that we didn't have enough money even on those cards. We told him we were only 17 and still in high school. But he didn't seem to care. He took our student IDs and he told us that there was an ATM about a block away and that we needed to go take out the remainder of our money and that he would be sending along one of his goons to escort us and show us where the ATM was. He passed us a couple of contracts of some kind. This had something along the lines of, I acknowledge that I owe this establishment however much money, etc. Knowing what I know now, these contracts would never hold up in any court of law, given our age, etc. But at the time, we were terrified. I remember that we both illegally signed our names, as we felt we had no other choice. Nobody knew we were there after all and we felt like something bad would happen if we didn't just agree to everything he was peddling. We finally agreed to just go get the money. He kept our student IDs as collateral, and I remember to make sure we would come back. I remember as we started walking up the stairs, which one of the big guys was directly behind us. My friend and I looked at each other, and we both silently knew just exactly what we were going to do without even needing to say it. As soon as we were past the spiked iron fence, we both started running full sprint down the street. The big guy initially chased us, but gave up pretty quick after about a block. My friend and I were in peak athletic shape, and we outran him pretty easily. We took the tube back to our hotel, dejected and angry at what had just happened. We later found our team at a pub right near our hotel, where they had been the whole time. We told them what happened, and some of them wanted all of us to go back together to get our money back, or even burn the place down. We told them we didn't want to go back, though. They were all good guys and paid for our drinks that night, and we all got drunk. We all stayed out well past our curfew that our coaches had given us, and when we all arrived staggering drunk back to our hotel, our coaches were waiting outside for us, annoyed, but glad we were safe. Of course, one of our drunk teammates then yelled, Craig and Brandon got robbed by hookers. And our coaches were like, Um, what happened? And they made us tell them the whole story. As you can imagine, they were obviously not happy with us that we had gone off somewhere like that by ourselves, as well as lost all our money, and that they would now need to pay us for the last couple of days. The next morning, I remember we toured a castle and everyone was super hungover. Our head coach interrupted our tour and then said, Craig and Brandon, come with me. Our coach then led us to some kind of main square of the castle, away from everyone else. He began his lecture to us by saying, So, back in the Middle Ages, this courtyard was used to behead people. I thought it would be a fitting place for our talk. Which, looking back, was a great line. He basically told us that he was really glad we were safe, 
but what we had done was incredibly stupid, and we could have really gotten hurt. He told us we were going to be suspended for a couple of days when we got back to Canada, and so for the last couple of days, we were both dejected. Then on our plane ride home, just about an hour before we were going to land back in Canada, he came up to us and told us that he had changed his mind about us getting suspended, and that instead, we just needed to write an apology letter to him. Looking back, I really think he just wanted to keep the whole thing quiet, as the story coming out would really reflect poorly on him and the other coaches, and I honestly can't say I blame him. I would really hate for this to ruin his career over the stupid mistakes me and my friend made. But yeah, that's the end of my story. Please everyone, I know you hear this all the time, but be safe out there.